Hello, and welcome to episode 161 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Sue S., Charlotte B., Carl Justin C., Melanie B., Jamie F.P., and Steve B. As members, you get access to a variety of support and resources, such as our private members-only Slack community, where you can ask questions and interact with me directly, as well as our members-only podcast feed with bonus episodes. Some membership levels also include access to guest bonuses and episode guides and even live Q&A sessions where I will work with you directly to tackle your biggest management challenges. Memberships start at $5 per month, so head over to themodernmanager.com join to learn more and invest in your professional growth. Today's guest is Katie Nielsen. Katie is the founder and chief education officer of Voxy Engine a public benefit company that leverages proprietary technology to deliver high-quality, needs-based English instruction to immigrants and refugees. Voxy Engine rapidly gives language learners the tools they need to advocate for themselves and their families and improve their economic outcomes. Katie has dedicated her career to making language learning more accessible and effective using innovative technology and research-based best practices. Katie and I talk about the challenges and opportunities that often exist when working with colleagues who are still developing their English language skills. We get into how to better engage and support these colleagues, as well as the importance of distinguishing what English skills really are needed in order to unleash the potential of each person, regardless of their current level of English proficiency. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Katie. I am really excited to talk to you. I've never talked about this topic around language and hiring immigrants, and so it's a whole new space for me to be exploring. So thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to get to be the first person to talk to you about it. All right. So let's just dive right in. And the first question, which, you know, maybe sounds like a little bit generic, but what are some of the things that you have noticed that make it hard or why people avoid hiring people who do not have English as their first language? That's a great question. I would say the first thing that causes people to not get hired is because they have an accent that makes it difficult for them to be understood. And that often makes hiring managers think twice about hiring them because they've had trouble understanding them during an interview. And in general, I would say that immigrants, refugees, speakers of other languages often aren't on the right pathway to get in a position to be hired. So they are sometimes overlooked by hiring managers and they often have very high levels. There's a whole population of highly trained foreign professionals who have credentials that are not from our country, but that doesn't mean that they are eminently qualified, but they might not tick the right boxes to be considered for specific jobs. That's so interesting. That is like almost before we even get to the point at which you can have a conversation and hear someone's accent that even before that, we might be scanning out or disqualifying people who are actually highly qualified simply because their resume contains things that are unfamiliar to us. Exactly. And this happens not only for managers who are looking to hire talent from outside their organizations, but it's a huge issue 
with large employers who will overlook whole populations when they're thinking about talent development internally and hiring from within and promoting from within. Because our whole country is is having a moment where we're thinking about upskilling and reskilling and training people for the jobs of the future. And immigrants, refugees, speakers of other languages are often precluded from participating in those training opportunities just because they don't have the English skills that they need to participate. It's a big barrier and it's a gating factor. Well, and I would imagine that if they're being overlooked for these learning opportunities, which I want to come back to in a second, they're also probably being overlooked for lots of other opportunities. Yes. Uh, English is the enabling skill for immigrants, for refugees, for second language speakers in the U.S. And as a country, we meet the needs of only 4% of our adult English learners, which means that we have millions of adults in the workforce or trying to enter the workforce who have limited English proficiency and no real way to improve those English skills, which is why one of the things that I talk about all the time is having employers think about English as a benefit that they can offer to their workforce. And English is something that they can think about for upskilling because it doesn't take that long to improve someone's English skills. It's just not something that most managers think about. First of all, that number is startling. And second of all, it seems like it makes so much sense when we're talking about ways that you can support your employees Right. And like now we're talking about things that are beyond just, you know, direct skills that work in the job. And English is such a powerful skill to have because it's both helping advance them within their career, within the work that they're doing, but also in their life. Like what a wonderful win-win all, all around. It, it truly is win-win. And it, it, not, it doesn't just help employees in the workplace do a better job in the role they have. It positions them for other roles. And when we're talking about talent pipeline shortages and a lack of employees who are qualified, if you think about English as something that you can enable some somebody with, you can unlock a whole potentially very talented group of employees who would otherwise not be eligible for promotion or advancement. So why are we doing this already? Like what's taking us so long? Why are more companies on this bandwagon of providing English as an opportunity to upskill their, their team members? So I think that we are starting to see more companies do it. We're seeing forward-thinking companies do it. And I have a lot of success stories and I have some really exciting impact metrics from learners who've been participating in workforce training programs. But the truth is, is that it's, I actually think the big problem is that as a country, the United States is pretty terrible at language learning. Most Americans will tell you they took five years of Spanish and they can't say anything there's a massive disconnect between the way we know language is learned and the way we actually teach languages. And so managers don't think about English as something that they could help their staff get in three to six months. They think, well, I took five years of Spanish and I can't say anything. So I mean, how are we going to fit this into everything else that my employees need to do? Oh my gosh, that is so true. And I also have to say that as Americans, I think we're also pretty crappy at English ourselves. I mean, I don't know that we do such a good job of really teaching good English language skills. I mean, now I'm getting into like nitpicky things like grammar and spelling, and we have all this tech now that can help us do that. But we don't, and I'll, you know, I'll say like, I'm a huge Francophone. I love everything French and the pride that they take in the speaking and the writing of French language just doesn't exist in the U.S. I mean, like we butcher English all the time. And, you know, it, it's not something that we, I can just, I understand why it's not something that we have invested in and in helping other people learn it because there's also just an expectation like, 
English is the international language. You should just know it. Right. And, and it's so, I mean, for lack of a better word, it's ridiculous to think that when you think about how the majority of Americans can't speak anything other than the English that they don't speak very well. <laughs> Completely. Okay. So when we're talking about providing these kinds of, of English language skills and development support, you know, I'm imagining that there are some managers listening who are going, this is great and all, but like my company is not going to do that. I'm not in a position to offer that. Is there a way that managers can support their team members without having it be a huge company-wide program? Yes. There are resources that are available to managers that are that don't necessarily need to be a huge company-wide program. My company, which I founded two years ago inside of my previous employer's company, is really designed to help workplaces get their staff the English skills they need for promotion and advancement. So it's all around sector-specific English, the English that you need for um, improving the career that you're in or the career that you want to have. It's based on really modern, flexible technology. So it can be offered to as few as 15 workers in a workplace, or I have some clients I work with with thousands of licenses. It's very flexible. So there are ways of doing it that don't require reinventing the wheel. It's really what I've spent my whole life doing. My my PhD is in second language acquisition, and I spent about 10 years working in higher ed doing research on the intersection between language learning and technology. And I left academia to build this company and this platform because I knew there was a better way to do this. So it, going back to the stat I offered earlier, if the U.S. meets the needs of 4% of its English language learners, we're not going to solve that problem by adding a little bit of capacity. We need to do it on a much larger scale. And the only way to do that is to leverage technology to try to help learners get language learning skills, like whenever, wherever, using their mobile devices. Yeah, I mean, as a French speaker and someone who learned French as an adult, I mean, I completely agree. Like the technology tools that are available now are so much better than sitting in a, a high school level class trying to learn it, you know, one at a time, kind of, you know, an hour a day in a, with a teacher and a group of 30 students. So do you want to say a little bit more about the experience of how that language acquisition differs through your programming versus other kinds of maybe language acquisition programs? Sure. Well, I mean, I can contrast it to start with, with the idea of learning in a classroom. Like you said, sitting in a classroom with 30 people. And unfortunately, that's still what happens. And that is a terrible way to teach people languages because when you're teaching someone a language, you're giving them a skill. It's a lot more like cooking or riding a bike or learning to surf. And imagine if you were trying to teach 30 people to ride a bike and you put them all in a classroom and you gave them all exercise bikes to ride on sometimes and you had them label diagrams of bikes and you had them talk about bikes, but you didn't actually teach them how to ride the bike, all that time in the classroom would be wasted. And so often with language learning, that's what happens. We teach people about how the language works. We teach them how to conjugate boot verbs. We teach them about passé composé versus imparfait, but we don't teach them the language they need to have an interview or speak to their boss or get a promotion. And so the, the platform that I designed and the program that I offer starts with real examples of people using English to do real things, and we work backwards. So we teach you with real examples of people using English in your type of workplace, in your sector. Audio recordings of people talking to their managers, for example. Recordings of people having interactions with customer service, 
OSHA safety manuals, employee benefits manuals. If you think about the workplace in the US, all the materials people are expected to read and understand in English, those are all turned into English lessons so that learners can get the language skills they need right away to succeed in the workplace. I love this. And now it's making me wonder, like, are there things that managers shouldn't do in trying to support English language learners? Like, are there things that we should avoid that are somehow going to be either inappropriate or disrespectful as we're maybe wanting to actually try and help our colleagues? Well, I think the first step is trying to figure out what people's levels of English are and how comfortable they are with English. And that involves talking to them to get an understanding of, you know, where they think their strengths and weaknesses are and would they want additional training and what kind of additional training would make sense? Do they feel like they struggle with reading? Are they struggling with listening? Uh, Is there some specific place where they could get more help that would help them do their jobs better? And I also think being open to listening in general is a really useful skill for managers. And it's important here too. Like just because somebody has a foreign accent doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them or that they're not perfectly capable of communicating. So taking the time to try to understand your workforce and then figuring out what their needs are is a really important first step in figuring out how to be more inclusive. Like this all comes back to the the big question right now of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we can't include speakers of other languages and immigrants and refugees if we don't take the time to listen to them and figure out like where they are and how we can support them. Well, and I mean, how much of this is also on us as managers and colleagues? I mean, I think about my husband and myself, we have had au pairs in our home for many years and many of them come with, you know, relatively basic English speaking skills and very heavy accents. And it's a process of really talking a little slower sometimes and listening carefully to be able to understand what it is they're saying, because sometimes they have the speaking skill, but their accent is so so thick. And it's really about us slowing down enough to actually hear what they're saying and not always being about them having to fix, quote, their accent for us. Exactly. And it's also about just taking the time to understand, even if it means you need to ask someone to repeat themselves or if you rephrase your question in a different way. I mean, when you're learning another language as an adult, you are almost never going to learn it to the same extent that you've learned your first language, which means that you are going to make mistakes, you're going to have questions, you're going to say things that aren't exactly right, and that's completely normal. So I think understanding that that's what's going to happen when second language learners are speaking with you is important. It's a two-way street, and both sides need to sort of understand that there's a little bit of give and take involved in communicating and that's completely normal and fine and expected. And an accent is something that you never get rid of. You always have an accent in your second language and that's completely fine. I think making people feel self-conscious about their accents is definitely something that we don't want managers to do. Are there particular things that we as managers should avoid on that front? Like, you know, I'm but motor, like, what do you say when you don't understand someone because of their accent? Do you just say, like, could you repeat yourself? Or did you have a conversation with them? You pull them aside and just say, like, I, I really am invested in hearing what you have to say. And sometimes I find your accent a little bit hard to understand. And so I, I'm apologizing that if I ask you to repeat yourself, but I want you to know it's it's only because I really want to make sure that I'm understanding you. Like, is it is that good or bad or something else? Yeah. No, no, that's good. I think you do both of those things. I think I think it's always okay to say, I'm sorry, could you repeat yourself? And then it's great to point out that you're asking because you're really invested in understanding. I think when you're working with a workforce that has very, very limited English skills, 
It also can be wonderful if you're able to get somebody to help with translation and interpretation, especially for big meetings. I think finding resources that are written in the first language of the workforce that you have are also really helpful. I just think that sometimes people do that and think that's the end of their obligation. And the truth is that translating things into workers' first language is gonna help them understand in the moment, but it's not gonna enable them to be able to participate in the workplace in a collaborative way. So I think helping people get more practice using English in the workplace is often enough to improve their language skills, making it a place where people feel comfortable contributing and people aren't ashamed for, for having an accent or for speaking in their first language. I, I've heard stories of workers who are reprimanded for having conversations in their first language amongst one another, and that should never be something that's frowned upon. Communication is important. So maybe you could tell us one of these stories about a, a team who's gone through this process and kind of what did it feel like for them and what were the results that they saw? So I have so many stories, I don't even know where to start. I'll, I'll start with a couple success stories. One is in a large manufacturing plant in upstate New York, where there's a large number of refugee workers and they participated in a pilot program where they were all given access to an English in the workplace course and they used our platform to learn English. And by the end of the program, there were employees who'd been promoted from factory floor worker to forklift operator because they'd gotten the English skills in less than six months to get to the next level in terms of their job skills in the workplace. And also employees who continue to improve since that initial pilot and have been promoted to sanitation lead roles, like, like supervising whole teams of employees who were all at the same level when it started. And the, the response to that program has been overwhelmingly positive. People are really excited to see that a little bit of English support can help their workforce be more integrated into the workplace environment. Um, and then I have a couple of stories, and I'll share the links for your listeners afterwards of workers who can now tell their own stories in English about how improving their English has helped them get better jobs. I mean, I, I love that. We talked about unlocking talent, right, and, and accessing the people who are already there and enabling them to actually bring more value. You don't have to go out and hire new people. What a wonderful win for our company and for that person. I, I love this. Exactly. It's a win-win. And it and it's truly, it, and it not only is it a win-win because it helps employees and it helps supervisors who can find talent from within, it also saves in recruiting costs and it helps with retention and it helps with diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's solving so many problems at once. Okay. So I want to go back to this question around hiring immigrants, refugees, non-native English speakers from the first place. So how do you run a fair hiring process where you have issues around language or your we went and talked about that resume situation. Like are there things that managers can do early on to set themselves up for a process so that they can actually hire people without having to kind of in a way that they can navigate some of these issues in a more thoughtful manner. Let me say it that way. I don't know if that was the most eloquent question, but I think you get the point. No, no, I do get the point. I mean, one sort of straightforward thing that managers can do, depending upon the field that they're in, is look at organizations like Upwardly Global. Upwardly Global is a nonprofit that works with highly trained foreign professionals to help them get the job skills they need to be hired in the U.S. And so organizations like that are great places to go look for new talent because they've worked with 
immigrants and refugees and helped them figure out how to translate their credentials into a resume that makes sense in the United States and position them for jobs here. So that's like a really easy thing to do. But I think in general, one thing that managers can do is think about the criteria that they're using for selection and for recruitment. Because we often, and I'm reading about this more and more in basically every field, we have arbitrary requirements for specific credentials or specific types of formal education that aren't necessarily necessary for the roles that we're filling. So I think in general, rethinking what credentials are required and what types of experience is required is really helpful for building a more diverse workforce. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I'm imagining, I always like to kind of put myself in the position of a manager and think like, okay, so what would be making my heart race now if I were hearing this? And, you know, I imagine that there are people who would get really nervous about the risks that come with hiring someone who doesn't completely understand written language or instructions or things like that. So if, whether it's in a, in a factory where there's heavy equipment, whether it's being able to write emails to customers or other things, are there things that you would say to those managers to be like, yeah, those, those are real fears, but like, here's how you get over them. Well, I wouldn't even recommend getting over them. Like those are real fears and those seem like things that would be necessary for specific jobs. But for example, understanding written directions, your ability to speak English in an interview is not necessarily an indicator of your ability to process written information and understand directions. So I would encourage managers to truly think about what skills are needed and to think about language skills in terms of the four skills. There are two receptive skills, listening and reading, and there are two productive skills, speaking and writing. And you don't necessarily need to have the same level of fluency in all four skills to do every job but it will often come down to just sort of this big umbrella term English. And I think that's actually very limiting. I love that distinction that you just made around reading, writing, speaking, and listening. And I mean, again, like as a person who attempts to like say I speak French, reading is so much easier than listening and speaking is so much easier than writing. Like there, it's, it is totally not the same thing. And you're right that when we are clearer about what we actually need, and then use more of those in our processes for hiring, it can help to make sure that we're getting the right people for the role. And we're not assuming things about people. Like I can imagine, oh, you speak so well, I assume you could write. Exactly. But that's not the same. No. And I think you probably run into that with um, native English speakers too. Like when you're thinking about the skills people need for specific jobs, you should try to get as nitty gritty as possible when defining them to make sure that you aren't excluding perfectly capable candidates because it doesn't seem on the surface like they check the boxes. Amazing. So what else should people know about either hiring or working with refugees, immigrants, non-native English speakers, you know, anything in this that you would just say, like, this is just good advice that you should, you know, have in your back pocket. I think the most important thing to know is that English, learning English is not an insurmountable obstacle that when you think about language learning, immigrants, refugees, and speakers of other languages are in an English-rich environment. So with a little bit of support and hopefully the, the potential to, to get some language classes, especially focused on the workplace, they can make progress really, really quickly and take their English to a level that would allow them to be eligible for promotion and advancement. Amazing. Um, you want to share one more success story with us or or other, just any kind of story, especially if you have some that are about 
the way that managers have experienced the change on their team. Another great success story is actually at the University of Maryland, where they use our platform, not just for international graduate students and undergraduate students, but also staff. So the university is a large educational institution that offers tuition benefits to employees. And that's a wonderful benefit to offer. And many educational institutions offer it. However, if you think about the food services staff and the groundskeeping staff and the residential facilities staff, there are disproportionately large numbers of English learners and speakers of other languages in those roles who don't have the English skills to take advantage of the tuition benefits. And so the University of Maryland actually makes our English learning platform available to those job roles. And what they're finding is that the residential facility staff, for example, has been using it the longest. They have housekeepers who have graduate degrees from their home countries who are now going to be eligible to take classes on campus using the tuition benefits because they've been able to use this English training program as a bridge to getting access to more to more instruction. Wow. Such like so exciting for those people and for the university. I love it. And for the managers. Yeah, they were just nominated actually for an award at the Social Innovation Summit because of that particular program. It really is something that should be emulated. I mean, we, we think about all kinds of benefits that we offer and offering English as a benefit to employees who are speakers of other languages. It would be is a really, really easy thing for employers to think about that benefits not only them, but also their staff. I love it. All right. So. We're coming to the end of our time. So Katie, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person so fantastic? Sure. So I think uh, I've actually had a number of great managers, but one that stands out in particular was a manager that I had when I had my very first academic administrative position. I probably wasn't 100% qualified for that job. And she gave me a chance, which was one reason that she was a great manager. And she also gave me a lot of space to figure out how to define my role and what expectations should be for my role. And I really, really valued that as an employee, the ability to think about what success meant in my role and demonstrate that I was able to accomplish probably more than I ever would have if she had given me a long list of things to do. Amazing. And where can people learn more about you and find out more about your offers? So our website is voxyengen.com. And I'm happy to talk to anybody who reaches out to me. My email is katie at voxyengen.com. We have lots of information on our website about how we work with employers, how we work with adult education organizations, how we really try to help close the loop between language learner and economic mobility. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights. I definitely learned a lot from this conversation, so I appreciate it. Oh, it was really fun. Thank you for having me. As a special guest bonus for five members, Katie has generously offered 30 minutes of personalized consulting on how to make your organization, product, or workplace more welcoming to speakers of other languages, whether those speakers are clients, employees, consultants, or the community at large. To be eligible to get this time with Katie, you must be a member of the Modern Manager. Go to themodernmanager.com slash join to enroll now. And when you do, you get access to dozens of other member perks, including past guest bonuses. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively. 
build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.